Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. <laughs> Are you oh, an Alice right. Cooper fan, Lance? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, uh, I was, uh, I was listening to under my wheels the, uh, Two days ago. <laughs> so Glenn Boxton has a blues oh uh, influence. And uh, <laughs> Wayne, we, would, we just want to promote your project here. Yeah, it's great. And uh, oh, Severed yeah. Angel yeah. is Wayne's project. All right. Very wow. Cool. <laughs> All right. Go do the introduction. You have to do Let's that, Danny. I am do do, I'm going. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm doing the live uh, share right oh, now so, that we're going to be on. All right. All right, let me put the intro on and then uh, we will be right back. Right. Go. They changed everything. What are they doing to me here? All right, here we go. I just right. want some water. That is the creepiest intro ever, Wayne. I tell you that every week. <laughs> What's so creepy about it? Oh, I don't know. Are you just mad that you're still not on there? No, I'm happy I'm not on there. I, I'm pretty <laughs> scary looking without being a puppet, but thank you. I'll thank get you, you. eventually. Uh, but uh, today we are joined by Blues. Uh, you're kind of a legend because I'm going through your bio and you just, you've done so much stuff, man. It's, it's insane. But we're joined by uh, Lance, Lope, uh, Lance Lopez. Welcome to the show, Lance. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, After, yeah. I thought that intro was killer. I was rocking out over here while it was happening. <laughs> that was creepy at all. I was like, yeah. Yeah, you got to <laughs> hear the rest of the, the song is actually called Frankenweed. Uh, That's band, incredible, man. Yeah, the band's wow. called uh, the band's called Fro uh, Frostbite BC. And, wow. Uh, the bass player who we're kind of friends with, he's. Uh, they all have like a, a gimmick. They all have like a costume and everything. And the bass right. player, he's, he's called Man Deer. And he's got these uh -huh. antlers on. He looks like a deer. It's, it's pretty cool. Everybody's wow. a different thing. So it's a really cool band. You need to check them out. Oh, my God. I can't wait to check them out. Yeah, definitely. But uh, we're here to talk about you today. And like awesome. I said at the beginning of this, uh, you've been doing this since you were young. You, you've been uh, since I yeah. guess you were like 14 years old, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's when I started playing professionally yeah, down in New Orleans. We were living in, I was living in New Orleans with my dad. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, so you were all over the place. You, you were born in um, uh, Louisiana then you moved to mm -hmm. Dallas and New, New Orleans. Is it New Orleans mm -hmm. or New Orleans? What, however, however you, <laughs> you say it. <laughs> what, I mean, what? Uh, yeah. And then, uh, like I said, by the age of 14, you started playing in local local clubs and local bars um give me what was like what was it like playing at 14 years old in, in the clubs and stuff i mean man it was it was a trip i mean you know i i was always gravitating towards playing in a bluesy style anyway growing up as a kid in the 80s and everybody was shredding yeah and i was i played you know 
much more bluesy. And, um, and my dad started me off on kind of early, you know, early rock and roll, 50s rock and roll. Mm. So I, already, I kind of played in that style. And, um, you know, then I discovered Hendrix and everything else is kind of, you know, it was over from there. And uh, so at, at moving to Dallas at 12 with my mom and seeing B.B. King and Stevie Ray Vaughan play together kind of set me on a course that that's, I was like, man, I want to play the blues. And so I kind of just started from 12 years old, Robert Johnson and Sun House and Blind Willie McTell and all that kind of music. And then just moved my way forward through Chicago blues and the 50s, Muddy Waters and Helen Wolf uh, to, you know, Paul Butterfield and to John Mayall, then into Cream and Zeppelin and then trace the whole thing back. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I discovered it. I mean, I discovered Robert Johnson by hearing cream for the first time you know hearing crossroads and just being pinned to the back wall of the bedroom with the wheels of fire album in my hand and looking at crossroads and seeing robert johnson you know and right so i knew that there was a basis of that somebody had explained to me that it was an old blues song they had taken and done that with and so i knew that i had to go back that far and there was no internet back then it was the library and yeah 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 You know, so yeah, it was like that, you know, from there on out. So by the time I was 14, I moved down to New Orleans with my dad and he had heard how, you know, much better I'd got playing and how much into the blues I was. And he said it was time to go out and start playing. So he took me around to some bars and some clubs and some bands hired me and I started playing, you know, every night uh, from like 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. And then I would go home and and sleep for two or three hours and then get up and make it to class by eight 30, you know, <laughs> before the first bell rang and then get out of school at three 30. And then the next, the, then the first gig started like five to eight. And then it was like nine to midnight. And then it wow. was like two to five, you know, we were, we would do the happy hour, the normal gig, and then the after hours gigs. So, cause you know, bars never closed in new Orleans. Really, you okay. know, so it was just round the clock, man. So it was just like as a kid, it was just great, and it was it was great because I had all that energy and I just I absorbed everything, and I just wanted to play as much as I could. So nice. I got to play with all these great musicians in the French Quarter and all over New Orleans at school. Yeah, that's that's freaking awesome, man. Uh, that is especially awesome. getting to start that early and, and playing in the clubs and stuff like that. That's that's insane. I play. I started playing drums when I was about like ten years old, but I never got to that you know that point of you know, doing all that stuff. So that's hearing that you were able to get in there and, and, and do that. It's awesome. Was your father a guitar player too, or, or your mother or anything in your family? No, my, my dad, um, <clears throat> no, he was, uh, he actually is a funny story. He was in the army with Elvis Presley and, and, oh, really? he and Elvis Presley had known each other from Shreveport, the Louisiana Hayride before that. And uh, then as fate would have it, they were stationed together and they remembered each other from meeting at the Louisiana Hayride. So it was wow. just this crazy thing. And uh, yeah, one of my earliest memories was my dad showing me footage of, of Elvis. And that's how I wanted to play guitar. I saw that. I was like, dude, I need a guitar. I, I want to do that. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. And that was well, it for me, you know, and it just so happened that, you know, it just it was always more like it was our family friend and not this icon because, you know, there was just these photos with my dad and Elvis. I mean, I actually got more photos of my dad in the army from Elvis's estate than like almost that my, my father had. And my, my dad had some photos of, of them, you know, on base together. And it was pretty cool. And I saw a lot of that stuff before my father passed away, but um, mm. 
uh, it kind of resurfaced again, but yeah, it was. And so that was kind of the thing. He always supported it. I think, I think that friendship kind of helped him support me being a musician, you know, that not that he was a musician, but you know, that that helped support it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, so I, uh, I saw a great quote here. One of my favorite guitar players who actually saw with Stevie Ray Vaughan, Jeff Beck described you as very exciting and intense blues guitarist. How blown away were you when the great Jeff Beck said that about you? It was pretty monumental, man. I, um, it, it was it was great, man. Jeff was amazing. I was really, I, you know, I was I was talking earlier today about Jeff, and and I was saying how fortunate I was to see him this last show in uh, Nashville with ZZ Top, um, you know, and you know, having worked with him all those years ago as a young artist, and I've known other young artists from Texas uh, that have that have also had the opportunity, you know, to work with Jeff uh, early on as well um i just learned so much man and the stories were so great and i just didn't even know that that he was aware you know and uh and and didn't even think to i mean it's like oh my god ask jeff you know ask jeff what do you think like really like and and the management that i had at that time i called and got that quote because i was like man i wouldn't i didn't even think he was aware of what i did i know that he just guided me on what like what marshals to use and like what kind of live rig he felt like i thought i needed and and i still use that rig today i mean he turned me on to the jcm 2000 it's my fly rig it's the amp rig i used the supersonic blues machine or all the, you know so it was all the stuff and and uh, i learned a lot of things and heard all the great stories and and uh, i was really just so blessed to be able to see him this last time and you know when i saw jeff this last performance i, I knew that it was special i didn't know why i didn't know it was going to be the last time you know, I, but I knew it was special. And I got to take a young guitar player who had never seen him live. And we had seats right down front. I mean, literally 10 feet away. And I got to take a young guy that had never, didn't know anything about him and just got to watch him just sit there and not be able to move. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that was the gift, you know. So, yeah. you know, love Jeff. And yes, what a, what a blessing. What an honor. I got to see him live one time, man. I was 19 years old, 89. It was a co-headlining tour with Steve Ray Vaughan. I don't know if you remember wow. that or not. Wow. Um, but they would alternate. I'd never seen Steve Ray Vaughan in my life. You know, wow. uh, Jeff Beck to me was uh, a pioneer of so much style of music that I love. Anyway, wow. um, I was kind of pissed because at the show I went, Jeff Beck was opening. I, I was oh, wow. insulted. I can Jeff Beck open for anybody. Nah. Right. But I was <laughs> I was talked into staying for Steve Ray Vaughan and I did. But what blew me away around Jeff Beck is within one song, he could go for something like um pork pie hat or right. um or lead boots, which combine right. you know jazz and hard rock yeah. to pure jazz. Then he would throw an electronica, you know. This is during the Jeff Beck's guitar shop. And I admire the man because even in his 70s, he never stuck to his style. He kept moving forward. He could have easily reformed a Jeff Beck group and made millions. Now, he made a lot of money. But obviously for him, it wasn't about money. It was about, you know. Anyway, I admire that a great deal. And I think that's why I brought that up because I thought that was really cool. uh, You know, you got uh, he, he gave you a quote. So, uh, Lance, you've been playing since you're 14 years old blues. 
Now, I discovered blues because of Led Zeppelin, Cream, and Jimi Hendrix. Right. I discovered it secondhand, um, much like you did. Like, you know, I would right. see the songwriting credits, but mm-hmm. I was about 16, which isn't that far from 14, but right. it's, it's still a big leap when you're that age. So right. when at 14, you know, a young kid is into mm-hmm. the blues, what, what, in your opinion, touched you about that music? Man, I don't know. You know, I remember going back as far as being a toddler in Louisiana, uh-huh. and I could I know the exact intersection of where it happened. And I remember us pulling up to a stoplight and seeing an African-American gentleman on the front porch with a straw hat, with an acoustic, with a slide, singing yeah. and playing Delta Blues. And I remember asking my dad, like, and I remember as a child going, this is the greatest sound I've ever heard in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, wow. And... um so, you know, and I would just remember my father always kind of, you know, me having questions about that. I, I know that uh, my dad starting me on Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley and those kinds of records kind of started me in this style. So, you know, um, you know, l- having learning to play from those records already starting in that in the blues format. And, uh, and then getting into the 80s and seeing all the great bands like Rush and Kiss and ACDC and Van Halen Live, you yeah. know, uh, and, and that was the, you know, that was really the style and, and all the kids in the neighborhood that played guitar were playing that style. And I was kind of reverting back to like the generation before and like the bands we just talked about. Right. And that's how I was, like you say, I was discovering the blues and I was really drawn to that. And my friends would say that, like, you're playing way too bluesy, like it wasn't cool. Like, man, you play too bluesy. And I told him, I came home and told my dad that, and he turned me on to B.B. King. And then it was like the rest was history. Like, he put on a B.B. King record, and I was like, oh, my God. that's. And then, like, Angus Young and all these other guitar players began to make sense. I was like, wow, that's the same lick that Angus Young played on this. And that's, that's what B.B. King's playing. You know, and I started to really start to understand kind of the lineage of how it was that the, the influence kind of flowed. And um, so, you know, and it was it wasn't until I mean, it was 12 years old for me. I mean, finally moving to Dallas and seeing Stevie Ray Vaughan and B.B. King. I Same like you. I went to see B.B. King and we went to go see B.B. King and B.B. King came out early and it was like, what? And, and, you know, Irma Thomas and Dr. John were on the gig. I think Joe Cocker was actually on the gig as well. Wow. And they had all played. And, you know, B.B. King came out. And then, and I remember being a 12-year-old kid. And we were there. And everybody had these T-shirts that had SRV on. And, like, literally everybody there. And I went, what does that mean? I was like, what is, what is, I was like, what is that? And I remember being, I was like pissed off about it. Like, I remember like, ah! I was like, what is that? Sorry. And man, I had no idea. And then I remember thinking like, you know, Hendrix, like, I was like, nobody could, has ever attempted to play Hendrix I'd ever seen live. And I was like, you just, that was something you didn't do. Like you mm-hmm. just didn't. And then when I saw Stevie Ray Vaughan play Voodoo Child, I was just, it was like, oh my God. So, you know, I, I, after that show, I deep dove into the blues. I saw B.B. King and Steve Ray Vaughan play together. So I would go hang out at Charlie's Guitar Shop. I asked around a couple of guitar shops, you know, and they were like, oh, man, they all hang out at Charlie's. So I would take all my Jimi Hendrix records and my wah-wah pedal, and I would go hang out, and they would be like, man, Stevie Ray is going to love this kid. Bob Fald and Mark Pollock and all those guys down there. And then the first day of school, man, bang, you know, 
he was gone. It was crazy, you know? So it was like, it was just a crazy thing. So I was really fortunate to kind of grow up and know, you know, a, a big circle of guitar players in Dallas and, and be taken under the wing and influenced by a lot of great players and, you know, um, meet and know a lot of the great Texas blues players, you know, from early age. And then, like I said, going to New Orleans and playing and then coming back to Texas and, uh, and being in the Texas blues scene was, uh, was great, great early on for my career. Did you find a scene in Texas and New Orleans very different as far as musical styles, you know, since you're a, it's because I don't, your style is definitely blues, but it's modern blues. I don't consider it. You don't sound like Steve Ray Vaughan, which is good. You sound like Lance Lopez, which is what you're supposed to sound like. You know? <laughs> well, thank but, you. <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I'm serious. Cause I, I took a deep dive when um, Wayne said, you'll like this guy. And, and then Wayne was, well, you're right. I do like his music. So Wayne knows me pretty well. So did you, did you find that? Did you, what, what was, I guess, the main thing you learned from both scenes? Because to me, they would be very different. Am I correct in that? Oh, absolutely. No, 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 absolutely. I mean, there was just much more funk, R&B based, you know, boogaloo, more jazz, more, you know, R&B in New Orleans. And then back in Texas was just straight traditional, you know, you think of Jimmy Vaughn, you think of right. Fabulous Thunderbirds, you, you know, that that sort of, you know, really traditional Texas blues. You know, Doyle Bramhall, Anson Thunderbird, Jimmy Vaughn, you know, those were the guys that, you know, that we kind of grew up around in Texas, Austin and Dallas and Houston playing blues. So, you know, uh, Stevie Ray had passed at that time. And so a uh, really good friend of his, Smoking Joe Quebec, also is another uh, great blues guitar player, is no longer with us, was a very close friend of Stevie's. And there was just so many guys, Bugs Henderson. And, you know, so right after that, I mean, you know, at 13 years old, there, there were two clubs in Dallas. There was Poor David's Pub and there was there was um, Blue Cat Blues. And so the owners back then, there were the pay phones. You remember the pay phones over by the bathrooms, you know? <laughs> Sadly, I'm, old, I'm old enough to remember. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we were allowed to go stand by like David Carr, Doug Henry. They would let us sneak in and we would go stand by the pay phones and they would go, don't move. Like, stay by the pay phones. If you move, you got to you got to get out. So, because if somebody came in, they would go, we let those kids in to use the phone. So we got to get in and see Albert Collins and Gate Mouth Brown and all these guys at third. And we were just standing by the payphone, just like, oh my God, you know, watching like <laughs> Albert Collins walk around with a hundred foot cord. We were just like, we couldn't move, you know, at 13 years old, it's sitting in Port Davis pub. So we got to see all the great players like that, man. You know, Anson Funderburg with Mike Judge was playing bass right, right when he started drawing Beavis and Butthead. You know, it was crazy. It was crazy times, man. See, I just so, learned something. I didn't know Mike Judd was a musician. Oh my god! Be, yeah, I did not know. Oh, that. a heavy duty bass player on the on the Texas blues scene back then, man. He played mm -hmm. with Anson. It was just amazing blues, man. It was just like it was just so great to be around as a kid, man. It really was. Yeah. Wow, that's really cool. So. Yeah, I forgot that uh, Mike Judd was a musician. I can see right yeah, that little great bass player, great musician, but he was a bass player back then. He played upright as well, mainly. Oh, yeah. Oh wow. Crazy. Yeah. 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 Actually, those those uh, upright basses, uh Lou Reed, Walk on the Wild Side. Oh man, wow. Yeah, that that's an upright bass. You know, right. that's what gives it that sound, you know. Doom. 
I think oh, man. Put, yeah. printless it's, slides on that. Yeah, oh, it's God. incredible wow. stuff. Oh, it is, oh. man. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Well, you met, you mentioned Hendrix, and uh, I practically worship Hendrix. I literally have seventy five <laughs> or more Jimi Hendrix related, mostly live stuff. Oh my and, God. You know, he's one of my favorites. And as I get older, I'm fifty three. As mm -hmm. I get older, yeah. What amazes me. We're going to talk about you, not other artists, but what amazes me <laughs> yeah, about, but I'm like, we need to talk after this because I want to hear some of this Hendrix Live stuff. You got. <laughs> well, this uh, 20, what was well, I get older? What amazes yeah. me is that he was only 27 when he died, right? And that he was able to create this body of work in three oh, years. Oh, so, you as a musician, because again, mm -hmm. you don't sound anything like Hendrix either, you sound like Lance Lopez. What right. did you? Uh, either as a songwriter, because I think he's underrated as a songwriter, or just as a musician. What right. do you feel that you got from Jimi Hendrix? Oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, uh, just the inspiration, uh, creativity of the guitar and, and blues, the creativity of the blues and the expression of it in, in, in a way the, of, uh, you know, of a very free-flowing way of playing guitar, you know, from, from your heart and from your soul. You know, I think that was the thing uh, that, that Hendrix really... Uh, you know, kind of inspired the most in me was to connect, you know, that whole into that whole channel, you know, and play that way, um, you know, and then the, and the writing and the body of work and the arranging and, and, and just, you know, I was, I said this morning, I was listening to electric Ladyland this morning. And I, I, I told somebody as I was listening to it, I was like, still today, I mean, all these years later, you know, it's still mind blowing. I mean, especially when you think back to the technology that was available, you know, to them and the recording, you know, capabilities they had and how limited they were. And I mean, it's like the equivalent of like a Tascam, you know, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was nothing. It was nothing, you know, and it's like into, well, into you, accomplish you, that. You would hear these crazy stories about Eddie Kramer holding a pencil and then right. Hendrix holding a a, a, the tape with a pencil on the other side to get that mermaid right. uh 1983 merman we should be so i was just right. looking this i was looking at your first release came out in 1989 so was groove yard records your label or was that already an existing label uh well it shouldn't have been 89 it's 98 or 98 i apologize yeah 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 <laughs> so, i was like wow <laughs> yeah. i didn't uh, think it was that old is he might uh, that would have been <laughs> that that was it was what record did it I was 10 he made his first <laughs> album <bro>. at 10 <laughs> he was making albums out of the womb that's yeah. right call it late for class <laughs> blues <laughs> so was that your own label a indie label or was that an yeah, existing yeah. label yeah groovyard is based they were based out of upstate new york and rochester He's still up there. There's some existing label. Uh, they they put out a lot of uh, you know blues influence, uh, real psychedelic kind of funk rock, you know blues rock, hard rock kind of guitar based music uh, that does really does really well overseas and and kind of yeah in the niche market and indie market and uh, you know kind of the cool stoner metal kind of vibe you know. But yeah. we did a lot of really great, like early, my early records were done on that label, like a really lot of really great guitar based jam records, you know, very riffy, very heavy, you know, good guitar kind of. Were those, were those records, were you still finding your, uh, and I was just looking through, unfortunately, 
I didn't listen to these yet, but I'm going to after we get off this thing. Wall of Sound is first things first. Did you, were you doing more of a jam style at that point? Or did you were already doing the blues that you're known for today? Yeah, no, there were, there were, it was blues rock. I mean, the first record that first things first I did with Buddy Miles. So Buddy and I worked on that record and, uh, you know, he, we, we worked on a lot of riffs and wrote a lot of music for that record. So it is very influenced in that way. And then the second record was also connected to the band of gypsies in a way that, uh, Eric Gales and I were commissioned to write a bunch of songs for a band of gypsies record that uh-huh. Billy Cox and Buddy Miles were going to do with feature a lot of great guitar players like Steve Vai and, 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 and Slash and these other guys. And, but they didn't want them just doing the same old Foxy Lady and Purple Haze and right. Hey Joe and all the Manic Depression and the same songs over and over again. They wanted new original material to play. So Eric and I uh, were, at, were in Memphis and wrote all these all this material and then the record didn't end up happening so we were sitting on all this material so we just said hey let's cut this wall of soul record and so we went back to the dallas sound lab you know where i did the the record with buddy miles where you know the sound lab was great man is where stevie ray they did soul to soul with stevie ray and double trouble and the family style record and david bowie had cut a bunch of stuff in there and phil collins and this is great studio the big a room with the with the the um SSL board that I'd pretty much learned how to, you know, work in a studio on. And um, so we went back there and cut all those tracks and ended up cutting a track with um, with Doug Pennick from King's X. He came up from oh. Houston when they were still oh. in Houston. Wow. These so Doug great. came up when so it was me, Eric Gales and Doug Pennick and my drummer uh, did a track for the album and came out amazingly. So, yeah, I was really proud of that record. It was really influential to a lot of guitar players in blues rock, you know, younger guys. And a lot of guys here, I, I find in Tampa, here in Nashville, that play with country artists now, the guys like in their 30s or late 20s. And they come up to me when I meet them in here in Nashville and I see them play with these big country artists. And I'm like, holy cow. And then I meet them and they go, yeah, dude, I had Wall of Soul, man. Wow. And I'm just like, holy, I didn't even believe anybody even heard that right. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> and I, well, I hear it all the time from the young guitar players here in town that go, dude, that real Wallace record, dude. Like, wow. Well, Lance, you, you just sold two more copies when we hang They're out. Right. I'm, buying, <laughs> I'm buying the first. I'm buying the first two, and I'm going to buy the newest one you put out. So I'm going to get three. Um, but uh, Buddy Miles, uh, yeah, Jimi Hendrix's band of gypsies drummer. The man Mitch Mitch Mitchell, who didn't play on that album, called the cement mixer. Right. <laughs> That's what he used to call Buddy Miles, the cement mixer. So um, what would you say you learned playing with these uh, old cats like Buddy Miles? Not, I mean, he's mostly known for Band of Gypsies, but he had his own solo career with a couple of uh, hits in the early 70s, including uh, them changes that Band of Gypsies did. So... Right. Uh, what would you say you you as a because you're you were you had to be a really young guy when you did that? I mean, what did you learn working with these older musicians who not just a generation, two almost two generations removed from what you you know who you were? Oh, absolutely, no, absolutely, absolutely. Great question, great question. I met Buddy when I was nineteen. I met him at the Pure Rhythm and Blues Festival in Belgium. I was playing guitar with Lucky Peterson. And because I had played with like Johnny Taylor and Will Milton and Bobby Bland, these guys as, as, as you know, the kid, he, yeah. he recognized these certain chord voicings I was using. So he yeah. knew, 
And it was crazy because when I was doing those gigs as a kid, that's when I found out that Jimi Hendrix and him and several other great musicians had been on that same circuit. I didn't even know that till I was there. And the people that were still there 30 years, and you had to think that was only 30 years before. So, you know, it was really crazy. And I had no idea that that was even a thing. And um, so, you know, Buddy and I immediately connected instantly. Um, and he moved to Fort Worth and he had a house on Byers Avenue that we called the Byers House. And it was, a, and it was a great ranch style house and had a drum kit and we surrounded the drum kit with backline. We had Marshall stacks and Fender twins and bass rigs and a PA and, and it was just round the clock jam sessions. And so buddy and I would write and jam and write and jam and buddy, and you know, we'd get a twin reverb and buddy would play bass upside down, left-handed. He'd plug into one side, I'd plug a guitar and then we would just write riffs. And man, we wrote so many riffs during that time that I still have riffs that I haven't even. And his daughter contacted me like two years ago. And she was like, we just found a bunch of tracks that you and Buddy cut. And she said, and I was like, wow, I didn't even remember doing it. And she sent it. And she was like, we, we would like to release this and at some point. And uh, so, I, you know, there's stuff out there that I didn't even remember us recording. You know, we were just working and recording and doing so much back then. So uh yeah, that's what we did and we just wrote and we jammed and you know um i learned a lot of what to do and a lot of what not to do you know and um you know and we had a lot of ups and downs you know and um you know drugs had a lot to do with that uh but yeah it was pretty crazy it, it, for a lot of times there was a lot of times that were really really good though man and we had a lot of great moments musically and uh what was so cool, and I had my little guy, and I'll, I'll say this about it, and, and we can move on, but my guy that I grew up playing in my first bands with, when we first heard Band of Gypsies, I had this epiphany. I told him, I said, dude, one day me and you were going to play with Buddy Miles. And he just sat there and looked at me. And eight years later, we were standing on stage with Buddy playing, who knows, to a sold-out Gypsy Tea Room. And I said, I told you. And he was like, and poor and Chad passed away two years ago. Now he just oh, passed. Man, sorry he, got a, he got a bad illness, and uh, and he passed on. And uh, but it was really cool that that happened for us, and and you know we had that experience in our life. So Buddy was amazing. You know, Buddy and I we we partied our ass off, we jammed our asses off, and I still have a lot of music that we wrote together that I hadn't even recorded yet. Well, hopefully you'll see the light of day because it'd be really interesting to hear it. You know, um, yeah, man. And, and Band of Gypsies, in my opinion, is to we had a thing on greatest live albums, and I believe that was my number one or number two pick. I can't remember, but yeah. I think it was number one. Uh, God, my my friend said it was number one. So, well, I mean, <laughs> that, that song Machine I mean, I, Gun, that oh, song dude. Machine Gun, um, you know, there. I, and then, so I don't mean to get aside, but so two artists of the '60s never protested the Vietnam War. At least mm. not vocally. One was Jimi Hendrix and the other one was Jim Morrison. The reason Jimi Hendrix didn't, because he had friends in Vietnam and he also was a paratrooper. Mm -hmm. um, so he had a lot of respect for men in the military. And even though Jim Morrison was wild and crazy, his dad was an admiral. They didn't talk, but he right. respected what his dad did. Right. So he wasn't going to. But both men in song wrote about the war, Unknown Soldier, The Doors and Machine Gun which is to me is the greatest protest song ever without actually saying the word Vietnam 
or mentioning any names or even getting political. He's talking about the spiritual side of what warfare does, machine gun, you know, incredible stuff. Sorry about that, Lance. I didn't mean to get off on a tangent like that. By the way, Lance, that gentleman right over there, his the name is boy. James. <laughs> James! Yes, hey, how you doing? It's his great, birthday great today. Yes, Happy he birthday, James. Thank you, thank you. And uh, he's same, a same. big blues fan. Huge and James, by the man. way, he mentioned Angus Young being blues, and James is one of the first people who said Angus Young and Bon Scott were blues men. So James My said man. it before. Oh, definitely. People. And also, you know, a guy from East, I live in East Tennessee. You're in you're in uh, good old Nashville, right? You know, right I'm in Nashville, Nashville yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, uh, the first question I had to ask for you, because uh, you're talking about your influences and everything. Did you yeah. ever listen to any Dr. John being from Louisiana? Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, Mac, I mean, my nephew was living next door to him there in a couple of few years before, you know, right when he passed away. Um, I used to see him all the time. Dude, I was I was talking about it earlier today. I remember being at a blues festival with Mac when I was a kid and drinking Junior Wells' beer. And then like Matt coming out and I was in trouble. And they're like, get over here, boy. You know, I was like, oh shit. Like, I gotta hide from Dr. John. I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah, get the voodoo, the voodoo man gonna get on you. Oh, dude, it was like hide. You see Dr. John, it was like, oh shit. <laughs> like, get but, out of here. Yeah, see, and that's something like I grew up, uh, my my whole family are from uh the Bay California, and then they moved out to Tennessee. And so uh-huh. I was all raised on uh, you know the blue, the Southern Blues rock, and like the awesome. Guess Who, and also a bunch of Doctor John and Hot Tuna and stuff yeah, like right. that. So, so yeah, that's that was that's my influence in, in life as a kid. So anytime I hear awesome. blues, and honestly, the, this album that you came out with, man, it is so bluesy. I enjoyed the hell out of it. So thank you, man. Like, I, I, you know, all I could hear was like, I was like, oh wow, there, there's some Stevie Ray Vaughan in there. Oh, there's this. You know, I'm just like, oh, there's this and that. I can just nitpick every little thing in there, and I was like, oh, this is great. So oh, wow. I was oh, enjoying man. the hell out of it. So. But that was my well, first thing. It was like, yeah, you well, had a good birthday, my man. They said it was your birthday, man. Yeah. Happy birthday. Yep, turned 39 today, and I was just uh, getting <laughs> done with my yeah, got done with my college football show, and I was just jumping right back in here because I was like, I'm not missing this one. So, yeah. <laughs> right on, well, he, I'm glad you made it. James is a blues guy, more so than I am. So well, right I mean, I'm I'm the I'm the sicko who bought the 96 Ann Arbor blues uh blues uh a CD from uh third man there in Nashville. So, oh, did you really? Wow. Uh, I, was, I was like, we walked, me and my wife walked in there and I was like, oh, there's that. Okay. I want that. Leo Redbone. Okay. I want that. I want that. Wow. <laughs> I was like, what are you buying? I'm like, I'm blues. Just let me be. <laughs> <laughs> and on CD, you usually don't buy anything on CD. You're usually. Yeah, a, no. No, other, other, yeah, I don't, especially not Severed Angel on CD. Absolutely. Well, well, uh, Lance, that's why I'm glad James came on, because as soon as you mentioned Angus Young ago, that's funny. James, actually, James, you're the only person I know who's ever, outside of myself, called Bon Scott a blues singer. For that, mm-hmm. yeah, James I mean, and me are, will be friends for life, just for that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, and, and I see it in a lot of artists. And, you know, unfortunately, like, uh, when, I, when I first went to N- Nashville about 15 years ago, it was a much yeah. different scene than it is now. Right. And there used to be those blues guys out there. I mean, shoot, you could tell me, you, you, you don't you know, lie to me and tell me Chris Stapleton wouldn't be a be- you know, great blues guy. Oh, my God, yes. You know, and there's a bunch of other, you know, and it's just everything's been incorporated down from there. But um, I've always loved the blues of obviously Memphis and May and all that stuff going on. I just, you know, was always a B.B. King, Eric Clapton guy, so – um but yeah no honestly you hear that you hear the you hear the four four chord and you're like okay there's there's blues 
Right. That's awesome, man. That's incredible. That's incredible. So yeah, well, cool, man. Lance, I'm at a friend's house. He's a young, uh, he's, he's about 16. He's a great guitar player. And he wanted me to ask you a question. Okay. What kind of a, a guitars and equipment do you use? Well, the main guitar that we're using right now is the uh, uh, 65 reissue Firebird. It's a VOS uh, Pelham Blue. We call it the Blues Bird. And it's a really cool build they did at the custom shop uh, several years back. And they put like a Les Paul shaped neck on it, which is really cool. Um, so the, the, the Gibson custom shop has uh, what's called the made to measure program. And so if you can think it up, they'll build it for you. So if you want uh, a Les Paul with a, you know, an, a flying V neck on it with that pointy headstock, they'll do that for you. You know, so they'll, anything you can think of, Les Paul with a Firebird neck, you know, a Firebird with whatever. So um, that's what this Firebird came out to be. It was, it's a normal, you know, Firebird, but it's got a bigger neck and it feels like a, you know, big chunky, you know, Les Paul neck. And then I've got a great, uh, also a great R9 Les Paul that they built. Uh, we call the Creaker. It's Barton Creek Burst. It's a, a, a 1959 reissue uh, with the specs also built with made to measure uh from gibbons guitar from billy gibbons pearly gates and from jimmy pages number one so it's got specs from both both les pauls combined uh, hang on one second it's gonna show you come over here it's oh, great man <laughs> we got it right here man hold on let me get this live in concert right here <laughs> oh that's beautiful oh yeah that is beautiful does that thing weigh a ton or is it no nice? it's a good weight it's about okay. eight pounds Oh, but they call it a sweet pea burst, so it's it's a lot like pearly gates. It's it, it, but it's got some attributes of uh, of number one. But this is this is probably the main jam right here. That's great, man. Oh, this is the uh, Lance. This is the uh, young man who wanted to ask you the question. That's cool. <laughs> oh, great! How there you doing, go. buddy? Uh, like, oh, yeah, is that a Brian May guitar? And, yes, yeah. Yeah. Is, man. yeah, bring us to that in. That yeah, look, it's even got the... What the heck did he mean to sell saddlebag? It, it would have yeah. been a saddlebag. Yeah. That is yeah. too cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's you always gotta, playing you gotta, queen. You got to place and tie your mother down now. Oh, he, <laughs> oh man. Don't, oh, he, don't, don't right tell now, don't tell him to do that. We'll get copyright strike. He'll do it. <laughs> I already got the copy strikes for Eurovision this year. Okay. Yeah, we'll get oh, copy strikes boy. on there. Oh, so. sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah edit that out. <laughs> Lance, I, I was watching an interview with you with some on another uh, podcast, and you were talking about uh, the, when you went to a NAM show, and yeah. you brought your flying V and you handed it to somebody. Yeah, tell, tell the guys about that story, and then oh and my god, yeah. oh man, Cole's, Cole's gonna like this story. Tell him, get him, get him back. Well, over basically, here. yeah. So I had a friend of mine. He's he asked me to to come to a party, uh, kind of a pre nam hang at uh, in Anaheim somewhere, and I walked in, and he said, "Bring that white flying V you have," and uh, and so I did, and when we walked in the door, it was just this epic hang happening. And we walked in the door. They just kind of pulled the guitar out of my ear. We'll take your guitar and take it this way. And blah, blah, blah. And at the same time, pulled me the opposite direction of the room to meet these other people and this microphone company and these other, you know, these other gentlemen at this at this uh, party. And uh, and so I kind of made the rounds and talked to people. <laughs> and I came back in the room 
and there was the flying V on the table taken apart <laughs> with stuff off of it. Oh my God. And I was like, well, what? And it was Thomas Nordig, who was Steve Vai's longtime, you know, forever lifelong guitar tech. Uh -huh. So it was like Thomas Nordic. So it's Steve Vai's guy. So like, what do you like? What do you, I mean? You're like, ah, but my guitar's apart. But it's Thomas Nordic. They're like, what do I really say? <laughs> <laughs> and so they were. They just totally replaced it with all this Graph Tech gear, new bridge, new tuners, new nut, new everything. They just rebuilt the guitar, totally rebuilt it, put these graphite saddles on it, and uh, yeah, and totally sent me on my way. And it it just held. And then then I met the Graph Tech company people, but it was like. I was like, man, were y'all going to ask me if that was cool or? That's what I was going to say. Mean, did nobody asked you? They just did it. About it at all? Like, and what if you weren't <laughs> happy with it? What were you? What would they do? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't think you say anything bad about, about it. it. Pull it all back off and put it the way it was. I was like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could have asked me. Except for me. <laughs> I well, I don't know if you guys know who Robin Ford is, else. but I, the same thing happened. Robin Ford was doing some gigs with uh, with us with a band I'm in, and he had a vintage '63 Telly, and my tech was working oh. for me. And yeah. he hands it to my tech, and he goes, "Here, set my guitar up." And me and him went for a walk, and we came back, and my tech had the neck off the guitar, <laughs> and we came back. It was in two pieces, and we were just. I was like, "What are you doing?" And Rob was like, what are you doing to my guitar? And I just was like, oh, my God. <laughs> that's oh, that's so bad. <laughs> it was brutal. It was so brutal, man. That's uh, like an episode of Punk. <laughs> uh, yeah, rough. really. It was rough, man. You ever look at those old Who videos and see those guitars you smash and start crying? Because I do. <laughs> <laughs> I start. I start crying. <laughs> yeah, you, have, you have to. You have to clean your palate with like you know Stevie Ray Vaughan and uh, and like BB King re you know restringing a guitar right in the middle of a solo. You know. Right. <laughs> right. That's a palate cleanser, right? That is a palate cleanser. If there's anything That's like the that, reset button, <laughs> the blues. Reset, reset for the blues or something. I don't know. We got to come up with a title. That's, that's, that's amazing when you listen to some of those old blues live albums. You do Muddy Waters, Howling Wolf. Yeah. You know, they sound great. And then they'll stop and go, time to tune up. And they'll sit there and literally, you know, tune yeah. up or, yeah. Every sixth street. Yeah. They'll, they'll tune every single string. And they'll just be talking like, oh, you know, we're, hey, we're doing this thing here. Ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that that's some of my favorite Jimi Hendrix moments on live albums, bootlegs. Only cowboys stay in tune, and you'll that's see, right. and you'll see him, to, and you'll hear him tune up and hit, and you know, yeah, it's incredible. Uh, that's that's the, that's the best thing about the uh, the uh, Woodstock, the original Woodstock vinyls, was that you could hear them doing that stuff right in the middle of it, you know, oh, with yes. the, with the silly PSAs of hey, don't do don't do the brown acid. <laughs> <laughs> What was it like opening for BB King? Because yeah, you know, you got to see him and everything, but you actually opened for him. So what was that like? Exhilarating. I mean, just you know, incredible. Those crowds are incredible. Playing for those big rooms and and um, and then you know, the the biggest, the greatest thing for me, our set would go by so quickly, and I had like a stupid amount of guitar amps because we were playing these big rooms. Yeah. So I just wanted to pull out like every amp we owned. I mean, we literally had, you know, six amps going at the same time. It was stupid. And <laughs> I, I, we had Marshalls and Fenders and 
I mean, I don't even remember what all else. Matchlesses, one night boxes. What, what did BB like, say about all that? It was <laughs> yeah, like a good question. Track, they, were like, they were like, do whatever you want to do, man. 45 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> do whatever you they were like, we don't get out there, LL. Tear it up, man. You got it. Go out that's there, how tear it up. Because that's what we did. And right. and it was so cool to watch. What was cool to see BB hold. 7,500 people in the palm of his hand in oh. that one note. And I noticed that when I was a little kid and I saw him and Stevie Ray play together, Stevie was playing a bunch of fast licks and all this, you know, the stuff that he did. And then BB would just wait and then just hit that one note and it just like leveled <laughs> the building. Right, right. I mean, it just literally was like Moses, you know, parting the Red Sea. I mean, literally <laughs> one note and it was just like, ugh. Like right in the chest, you know, because I mean, as a little kid, I'm standing there and I don't really know what this is. So it was that was the impact that I would watch side stage was B.B. King holding the people in his palm of his hand, being that entertainer. And then those one note. And that also taught me how to play guitar to a big room. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I went out as an opener for a lot of other rock gigs after that. And I would do that. I would be like what I was just talking about. I would try to play a lot of fast runs that wouldn't translate in a big place as opposed to like what BB or like later on a, a, a further, ex, uh, you know, evolution of that is Angus Young. Mm -hmm. You know, that same vibrato, that that same major pentatonic style of playing uh, is very BB and Freddie King, you know, and and so that works in big big places playing faster works in smaller intimate more intimate you know settings i feel like and and, and i've talked to a lot of other great guitar players that agree yeah. so well, you know uh wayne you always make the joke about you know how you know the kiss and then you have Vinnie vincent go out there and start you know just throwing riffs everywhere <laughs> where we're loose and it wouldn't fit right. because it didn't fit the vibe of the room yeah. whereas right. like you know um I was always, always a big, uh, got me into blues was uh, Hooker. So like, you know, how Hooker would just keep the, just keep the beat with the guitar and everything oh, yeah. was through his voice and through his inflection and everything. It wasn't right. through the guitar. And then you right. go to BB and all this and all the other guys and like Howlin' Wolf was definitely just, it was his voice and his just the, the vibrato and the, and the passion out was, that's how he kept the room and just how they all did the things. That's what got me into the whole, the whole genre was that. You know, just how they, how they keep it, how they made something so simple, so beautiful. Right. You know, it's all, it's right. all in the minimalism Absolutely. of it. Right. Absolutely. Well, it just shows how universal music is. I mean, I'm a Latin kid born in Bronx, New York. You know, I didn't, growing up, I didn't, the only grass I saw was the kind you smoked. I didn't see any, <laughs> you know. I, uh, yeah, I didn't. You know, yeah. cotton fields, I didn't know what that was, but the, right. the music spoke to me. And then you think about it, and then it spoke to some guys in England named Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. You couldn't relate right. to it. Right. And then we fast forward 40 years later, and some kid named Lance Lopez relates to it, you know? Right. So it's just, it's just how universal that music is, you know? Right. It's just incredible, really, you know? Absolutely. Um, I mean, you mentioned how young you were when it, when it touched you. And you think about it, you probably have since you do this for a living now. But you were not only going against the grain then, you're still going against the grain now, really, you know, to this very day. Uh, uh, 
especially back then, I'm surprised managers like you're committing career suicide, you know, <laughs> uh, you managed to do it. So hats off to you, you know, wow, good job. Yeah. And uh, actually, you, you have a new album. It just came out, like, uh, I think on July 14th, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. It should be a trouble. It's definitely it. everyone trouble go good. listen to that thing, because then that, 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 that has no bad songs in it, and it just flies it by. Really, I mean, it really doesn't. And like I mentioned really before, fly. this is more like a metal show and rock show, but... Uh, awesome. I, Thanks, I for, Thanks for having me. My people. <laughs> yeah, and, and I listened to this album today, and I'm like, this has got... I think this is might be one of my favorite albums of the year. Because it really, it's yeah. it's really really good. I mean, I, I put it on first song. I, I hear like Led Zeppelin influences, and I hear like Aerosmith influences, and throughout right. the album, I hear like some Kiss stuff and just right. things that I listen to anyway. And just everything just sounds really good. And you co-produced the album too, right? Right, right, absolutely. And thank you so much for recognizing that because yeah, I mean, growing up as a kid, I mean, rock and the metal influences are were, were heavy, and that's so I've been I've been always categorized as a blues rock artist, not just a straight traditional blues guy. Yeah. And so that's what I wanted to do with Trouble Is Good is to emphasize the rock aspect of being a blues rock artist. So I went to all of our friends that are my favorite guys that play rock today, like Brian Titchy and Bobby Rondinelli and Greg Bissonette and Urian uh, Carlson from Government Mule and Danny Miranda from oh. Boyce Colt. Mm. Buck, Buck Johnson from Aerosmith and Hollywood Vampires and Peter Keys from Leonard Skinner. I mean, we went off out to all of our good friends to play rock and, and, and then presented like these blues influenced sort of rock songs, you know, I mean, everything I'm, I'm a blues guitar player and a blues singer. So, mm-hmm. I mean, in that situation, and I think that's what made sense earlier about what we were talking about Bond Scott and those guys is that, yeah, but you put them in that in a song situation and it comes out that way. But yeah, at the core of it, that's why it's so real. That's why Bon Scott was so real. It's what it's the blues. And so I think that's what we try to do here. We just putting it in a song format as opposed to just a traditional wide open blues jam type of setting. Yeah. You know, putting it in a more structured song and delivering it and presenting it in this way. With with key players that we felt like would uh, sonically deliver the song correctly, and that's what each song was really. We thought that out, especially when we were doing all this during COVID. We had time to kind of figure it out, and wasn't like we got to hurry up and make a record real quick. It was like let's really think this out and think about which player would be great on each track. And you know, I wrote songs that I thought of Cozy Powell so much. You know, I thought of, I loved, I was a huge fan of Cozy's playing with Jeff Beck, with Black Sabbath, with, you know, Rainbow, of course. And that's, and Bobby and I, Bobby Rondinelli and I had gone back to when I lived in New York in the early 2000s, and we had always wanted to play together. And so I was writing material and I thought, man, this would be perfect for Bobby. So, you know, and and really thought in, in terms of if anybody could play like Cozy Powell, but but still be themselves. It's it's Bobby. It was Bobby because he he not only replaced uh, Cozy and uh, Rainbow, he also replaced him in Black Sabbath. At Black Sabbath, that's right. In yeah. Black Sabbath, so it was you know, and it was so it was great to be in a live setting with Bobby, and we had Danny Miranda from Blue Oyster Cult playing bass, and um, and and Danny was also in Queen when when Paul Rogers was singing, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so that was the first things we did once things opened during COVID is that we came to Long Island and we all got in a room together and we, we played Trouble is Good and Voyager and, um, you know, a couple of other tri- Uncivil War and, and just 
you know, just got in a room and got to vibe and got to play. And it was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. We're like ma- actually making a real album. <laughs> you know, it was cool. When you went on Long Island, did you go to a studio? Yeah, we worked at um, we worked at Bob Standard's studio, uh, okay. Parcheesi, Parcheesi and right. uh, in Huntington Station. Yeah. OK, because cool. I went to a studio and actually Robbie, uh, Bobby Rondinelli was there. He came in while we were setting up and everything and he just walks in the door. I'm like, oh, my God, it's you know, so it's pretty cool to actually get to meet him for the first time. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I love Bobby, man. He's, he's a killer. very nice guy. Yeah, he's it, great. It really uh, pains me to agree with Wayne, but I do agree <laughs> with Wayne that your album, your album is one of the best of the year. And it's funny because, uh, you know, Wayne's the one who introduced me to your music. I right. you're literally a brand new artist to me. I've never, I've never right. heard your music. And Wayne, uh, Wayne goes, uh, you know, give him a listen. And usually Wayne tells me, give me a, give him a listen. I'm like, I forget it. Yeah. But he actually goes, Neil, you'll like him. And the way he sold me to you was he likes Jimi Hendrix. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we but, do need to talk about those live Jimmy Hendrix yeah, bootlegs after yeah. this, man. <laughs> yeah, but he, uh, yeah, but he, uh, but both of these gentlemen are correct. It, it's, yeah. it is really, um, well, thank you. I listened to that. I listened, I had to look it up. I was listening to something earlier, and this mm-hmm. album. I know what I was listening to handmade music. I don't um, And I like that album a lot, but this one I like even better. And I like the fact, first of all, the production is excellent. Yeah. Um, every, you can hear everything clearly Two, I'm, I don't, I don't know what, if what you guys have been eating or whatever, but, or drinking, but keep doing that or smoking it. Cause the <laughs> songwriting is phenomenal. On yeah, it. It, it is trouble. I mean, yeah. I, I felt Man, like you the, you're trying it so in the TriStar State was like, I I felt that because you know, being in East Tennessee, knowing right. what knowing what Nashville used to be right. and what Nashville is now. Absolutely. Broke my, it's like, as soon as I heard it, I was like, that started breaking my heart because I was like, you know, 20 years ago, this song would have been every honky tonk everywhere. And now it's yeah, like, buddy. you can't find it in anywhere because there's like, maybe one or two really solid acts out there going through the honky tonk circuit and everything else is just another rehash of wagon wheel. Right. And right. It's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, no, no, cause so like last, uh, so like last year, my, I, you know, I'm in the air national garden and we were doing the Nashville unit there and we had a right. week and I took my, my wife was like, Hey, I've never been downtown. Let me go downtown. And I swear to God, I heard wagon wheel in different key about eight different places. Wow. But, yet the, <laughs> but yet that one big guy who could play the, who could shred a guitar with a freaking beer bottle was out there and i was like now that's an act right 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 trying to try to start saying well you know and it's about landing here during covid too yeah. and like the things i did like and it kind of then encompasses trouble is good man because i did other stuff during covid like we we were working on this record i became a home recording engineer and then i started repairing uh tube amplifiers here in nashville and oddly enough when the pandemic happened a lot of celebrities and a lot of big acts that were on the road, they were all shut down. So they went through their warehouses and just got all their broken gear that had been sitting there for 10 years and went, let's get all these 50 amps fixed right now. <laughs> and they were just sending over truckloads of twin reverbs and marshals and bass rigs and ampegs. And, and I was unscrewing amps and pulling tubes and replacing speakers. And 
that's what I did during COVID. And it was just what a blessing to have a job here. And we've had to have all, you know, precautions and masks and all this that we did, but it was very interesting, man. It was interesting times, but that's, that's what I was doing during the, during COVID working for the national amplifier service with Chad Sharp. I mean, just completely backed up, man. Like we couldn't even get, we couldn't even get to amps. It was crazy how that happened. So you're going, so you're going to be really the reason why for Dolly's, uh, Dolly's rock, rock tour, you're going to be the one that gives all the amps for them. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> and we it never say anything bad on, you'll never hear me say anything bad about our, our queen of the Appalachian. So dude, like during COVID, like her story time, bro, that was like, I did, I would lay on the edge of my bed with my pillow, dude. It's like, <laughs> At night, like going, okay, I'm gonna, it's nighttime. Okay, Dolly. I love you. Let, 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 Annie, let Annie Dolly put you to sleep. Yeah, exactly. And Dolly's reading story time, dude. You remember that? I don't know if you saw oh, that. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it was, it was all oh over the Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we had, we had it all over on uh, our local, uh, the one of the local independent mu music things that she added on there. So, like, the we had best. that. It was the best. Oh, my she, God. Of course, she's a, a saint out here. So, it's a question. Oh, my from, God. Yeah. There's a question from Colin Madden. He says, Can he retube his Blues Jr. without rebiasing? Uh, probably, but there's a couple of things you need to fix on a Blues Jr. that uh, there's a couple resistors in there that you could mod out that, um, that'll kind of, and, and there's a diode that'll blow too. You have to watch out for before those tubes blow. So, just be careful of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can absolutely try. I mean, as long as it's the same type of tube and if they're in the same rating, I mean, you got to know what those tubes are and if they're matched or not and whatever they're matched to, make sure those tubes that you're replacing with are on the same number range and then you'll probably be all right. Lance, are you going to be doing any touring uh, in the next few months to support yeah, the man, we're uh, uh, Labor Day weekend, we're starting in South Florida down in Naples. We got a one-off show we're doing in Indiana. Oh. Uh, next week and uh I'm, I'm doing some some gigs in town this weekend doing some private party stuff but we got um starting labor day weekend it's really it's it's going to be back uh touring and, and supporting the record uh starting in south florida then we're going into texas and louisiana then up in the midwest in the fall then east coast and then also out to the pacific northwest so we're going to kind of be all over the place well, if you come to Tampa, Florida, I will be there. So we're supposed to be in uh, St. Petersburg. I think. Oh, that's <laughs> close enough. Where's where? yeah, uh, uh, Cage Brewing? I think we're playing. Uh, oh, I'll be there. Cage Brewing, St. Petersburg. I yeah, I think uh, September, um, early September. I have to look at the day. It's on. I'll look at your website. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm going. 7th. Yeah, I got the website up right now. September seventh. Well, September, that the well, I'll be, okay, cool. St. Petersburg. There you go. September 7th. Well, I don't know if I'll get to meet you, but at least I'll get to see you live. You know? Oh, yeah, dude. Absolutely. We'll meet for, for sure. For sure. Let's see what I'll meet you. Hopefully, you'll hook me up. I'll burn you those Jimi Hendrix bootlegs, at least 10 of them. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you got to play them at the proper volume. Don't, don't, don't sin against Jimi Hendrix. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do, you, do you have like a favorite song off the new album like, is there some one song that's like a little bit more personal to you or is there one that like you really loved working on i mean they were all really cool voyager was really cool man i mean voyager was a really cool piece to work on and like from start to finish and kind of make it more of a prog thing mm -hmm. you know i uh, really wanted i was so super influenced by like bands like rush and yes 
and Mahavishnu Orchestra and all those bands like that, you know? And so uh, I started working on that piece when I first moved to Nashville and I was, I was hanging a lot with the great John Hyatt, singer songwriter. Oh, who great singer songwriter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and John gave me an acoustic to write songs on. And so I was working on all these weird tunings and we actually had coffee one day and he wrote down all these weird tunings I was working in and, and songs like easy to leave and open G and, and other things I was working on. I was using some weird C tunings and I had this weird open A thing I was working on and I was trying to figure out a melody and kind of what to, uh, to really, to really sing about and to work on through and, uh, work on it through. And, and so I had all these different parts and we were working on work tapes at the jam house and whatever. And, uh, it, it wasn't until, um, you know, I, I was re also reading this this crazy book called The Law of One, which is this super metaphysical thing about this chick having this extraterrestrial contact and all. <laughs> you know, so I thought like, hey, man, those guys that made those great records read crazy books and then wrote like, you know, like Neil Peart wrote all the read all these books and then wrote about it, you know. And so I was yeah. like, how can I yeah. do that? What what can I do that would be a trip? And so I read I was reading this Law of One book and I was like, well, let's write about this character and then let's pay tribute to, uh, you know, a lot of the the English artists that we loved so much uh, growing up, uh, you know, uh, Rainbow, Zeppelin, uh, all the mystical bands, you know, um, uh, Yes, all those kind of bands. And really, I, I thought it was really cool. We, we had Michael Landau, and I'm a Gibson guy, by the way, get the Gibson guitar, but Michael Landau is a dear friend, great session God out in LA and you know we know each other from the baked potato and his dear friend who just came to Nashville and played he came out with a signature series Stratocaster and a producer I was working with here in Nashville got one and I played it and I was like oh my god this is the most incredible Strat I have ever played and so I started into all this Rick, Richie Blackmore style and so on the session and it was warming up and it was like that's what we need to play and really pay tribute to was um, I don't think I ever talked enough about that influence on me, Richie Blackmore's influence in Rainbow. And then having Bobby Rondinelli on the track mm. who played with Richie Blackmore, it was like it, it made sense, nice. especially him playing all the Cozy Powell licks and everything that he was playing made total sense for me. To, and then I had a Stratocaster with the right tremolo on it to be able to, to pull off some of the more of the Blackmore style riffs. And then also to be able to, to have the kind of the Jeff Beck uh, spiritual kind of ascension tribute as a send off for Jeff at the end with the whammy with the tremolo piece at the end. Uh, so, I mean, you know, and then the beginning was, was interesting with Peter keys and I and Doug bossy and I was playing a middle Eastern oud, you know, which is like a middle Eastern loot, you know, okay, and, yeah. and, you know, so just putting it all together like that was, it was very different than just like putting together a, a blues thing, the title track, was like that but we did it more in a, in a like in a delta blues kind of chain gang blues kind of way with an intro and an ending mm. so those two the title track and voyager were really really fun to make yeah was this the most fun that you've had making an album because it sounds like you had a lot of fun making it yeah you, I can, did, you can hear that you had a great time making the album for sure you can thank hear you it. man yeah it was just you know we had i think during covid it was like we kind of had time to 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 make it right and to do what we needed to do and get it right and so i think that was what was cool and then to really you know to to hear these songs in this way and then to grit the right players together like brian titchy and bobby rondinelli and all these great drummers and 
uh, that 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 uh, that we all love and 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 um, and adore, and and bass players and keyboard players and have them on these records and and each song and it sonically come out on the record the way that I heard it in my mind was the greatest accomplishment of the record. That's what was so great for me. It was like, this is what I heard in my head. And then we, we were able to amass the right guys together in the same room to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Now I love your singing voice. Uh, did you always want to sing and play guitar or did you, like, how did you feel about your singing? <laughs> thank, thank you, man. Thank you so much. Now I did. I mean, I think it was Bobby Bland that kind of showed me gospel music and, and yeah, okay. like, you're going to be a singer and you need to be a singer. And, uh, and I got to play with a lot of great singers and I tried to mimic and listen to what they listened to and, and just, you know, mimic those records. I mean, I was kind of showed how to do that. And, uh, and that's what we did. I mean, we just kind of mimic those albums and, um, you know, and just kind of learn to sing that way. And, and then it was go out on the road and try to do it. And so I feel like my singing is definitely developed in a certain way. I've had it great gospel singers um the great kirk franklin he was like he came out of the studio one day and he heard me singing he goes he goes man that ain't nothing but whiskey and cigarettes <laughs> <laughs> see like, bond scott it, would be proud of that lance <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool uh, yeah that is, I, 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 at home though kids <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I definitely love your singing style and the guitar playing and everything. And like you said, the album is really good. And um, I, I also love how every song is its own thing. You know, not it, a lot of times in, in the metal albums that we listen to lately, everything just uh -huh. sounds the same. You can't tell one song from the other. But on your right. album, everything is just like its own thing. And you can you remember the songs. You know, I, I remember some of the stuff that I heard. So right. it's, it's really great. And, and I really enjoy it. And I hope it does really well for you. Thank you so much, Wayne. Yeah, man. I mean, that was the whole point was to make a record. You know, I wanted to make a record. This is one of the reasons why we, we put it out on orange vinyl too. I wanted to make a record that, you know, that we could get like we did back in the old days. And, you know, you got the record, you took the plastic off, you took the album out. And that was what was so cool about it being orange vinyl. And, you know, and then you put it on the record player and then you put whatever on the album cover and twist up whatever you want and, <laughs> you know, pass it around with your buddies and listen to the rock. I mean, you know, that was like, that was what we did as kids, you know, that was the thing, that's what we did. And 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 I, I, those were monumental times for me. I mean, that's when music just like sunk into my heart and I went, oh my God, when I heard physical graffiti for the first time mm. like that, you know, when I heard, are you experienced for the first time like that? You know, when I heard, you know, and justice for all, you know, like that for the first time, I mean, hearing monumental masterpieces like that for the first time on vinyl were, were incredible. So I, I didn't, I don't want to say that our, our record is like some monumental masterpiece, but I wanted to make a, a classic album that, that you could put on and, and sit down and it had that flow that you just described. I mean, thank yeah. you so much for getting it because that was what we wanted to do, man. Well, uh, congratulations, Lance. You, uh, totally, you totally succeeded. You succeeded. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. uh, Colin Madden, he says, um, he's sorry you tuned in a little late. And I know you did talk about Buddy Miles a little bit mm -hmm. earlier on, but um, do you have any other stories about Buddy Miles and the time you were spending with him? Oh, man. I mean, we just had so much fun, Buddy and I, um, you know, I just remember, um, you know, one of one of the most monumental moments with Buddy was uh, Buddy taking me to meet Prince. Um, 
you know, he met, he took me to meet, and I didn't even know Prince was in town. <laughs> Dallas, I guess 2002, maybe. And, um, and, and Prince and, and, and Buddy called me and he goes, uh, you need to be at my house tomorrow. We're going to go see Prince, you know, put on all your stuff. And, uh, and that was that. So I was at Buddy's house at like 9 a.m. and a limo came and picked us up. And it was like we literally all had our stage clothes on. You know, <laughs> <And we> like <laughs> literally are piling into this limo at 9 a.m. And we go to Fair Park Music Hall and we get backstage and Buddy's looking around and he's backstage. And he's going, Prince! And he's like literally yelling. And I'm like, oh, my God. And, I'm <laughs> and Maceo Parker comes out. You know, and I turn around and look at him, I'm like, oh, my God, there's Maceo from James Brown's band. I was like, oh, my God, Maceo. You know, and then a door opens up next to me, and I think a child is coming out. I go, oh, my God, there's, and I literally said, oh, my God, there's kids back here, and it was Prince. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. I mean, that's a true story. I'm not, I'm not, dude, I'm just being honest. Like, and, and then he's going to challenge you to basketball. Later. And he just turned and looked at me. And he, just, he was like, "What's up, brother? Hey, man, totally cool. Just like, just like, hey, what's up, man? Just come on in." And he was back there with his old lady, and he came out of the room, and it was just like family. It was like, "Holy, he's just like, hey, what's up, man? Glad y'all are here. Let's go jam." Uh, Kyle Amanda wants to know: Did he challenge you to a basketball game? No, <laughs> we, were, <laughs> we just had a jam session. That was it. <laughs> then he served you pancakes. <laughs> no pancakes. I wish. I wish I had some pancakes right now. <laughs> well, very cool. Uh, and everybody needs to go check out uh, your new album, Trouble is Good. It's a really great album, like I said before. Uh, Thanks, everybody man. just needs to go check it out. And where can people go and buy the CD and check out more about you? They can get the music. It's on, uh, you can go to our website, lancelopez.net. We've got links to order. Um, it's on all your your platforms, you know, your Spotify, your your uh apple music uh youtube all, all your 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 you know down streaming places you can go and then cleopatra records their website um you know and, and the limited edition orange vinyl is is uh if anybody's into vinyl i mean it's it's a really cool thing there's not very many that we're printing it's it's a limited thing so it'd be cool to nab one of those it'll be cool later on uh, hopefully one day <laughs> but yeah man and then you know all the all your your normal places so trouble is good and then check out our tour dates at lancelopez.net for sure very cool is uh is oh and final... let me, don't let me forget instagram at lancelopez guitar should give us a follow yeah follow them on follow them on everything uh is is vinyl your your thing are you into the vinyl are you into the i'm into vinyl yeah i can get i mean it just it was such a big part of my childhood man and flipping yeah. through records in a record store is just there's just something that's just an art that we have in rock and roll man that we just should not ever lose i just yeah. don't feel like i feel like it's such a, a part of rock and roll man record stores and the hangs in record stores and you know, putting on the record and the needle dropping. I mean, just the whole everything that it, it surrounds, man. I mean, that's oh, just yeah. Such a cool. yeah, it's, it's amazing to see that come back like it did. You know, it's I, a ritual. When I, was, when I was younger, I was like, eh, who wants records? Because, you know, CDs were getting big. But now that the, they came back and everything and right. I started collecting it, it's just out of hand now. But uh, it, it's cool. It's, it's a really cool I'll, thing. Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, stay, I'll stick with the CDs and bourbon, okay? <laughs> CDs and bourbon. <laughs> that's a country song right there dude uh, yeah, yeah. a real a real one like waylon jennings used to say Hell I, did, yeah. I, did a, I did a joke with these guys you know <laughs> what was it uh if you uh, 
you uh, you know, you only have musical taste if you like William Jennings. If you don't, you might want to acquire some taste. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no since this is a metal show, uh, favorite metal band? Oh my god, dude, that's that's a oh man, favorite metal band. That's yeah. this. That's it's way too hard, man. Oh my god, <laughs> there's so many. I'm like, or is there, or is there like a new one that maybe you're into? Any, any uh, a new metal band? Um, I don't I don't know. I'm just so stuck on the old school guys. I've really been. I really it's really been interesting watching the transition of Pan on Pantera. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, now you know, yeah. growing up in that circle in that world, it's just so hard to get away from, you know, that that world. I, I was just so fortunate to know Dime and Benny and mm. and be a part of that circle in Dallas, you mm. know, and, and play with musicians from that world and. And, and know, you know, all the all the production team and, and, and guys that were on the road with them. And I mean, sneaking into shows like we were talking about earlier, sneaking into shows and seeing them at the basement in Dallas, mm. you know, when I was just a kid. My older brother would go in and then have somebody take his ID out to me in the parking lot. <laughs> and then I would reuse his ID. <laughs> and I told I told uh, I told uh, Jeff. Uh, the owner, not not very long ago, I told him, I was like, I, this is probably 10, 15 years ago. I, I went to him and apologized. I was like, man, Jeff, I was like, man, I'm so sorry. We, we, uh, I told Jeff Shaddle, I was like, dude, I'm so sorry. I was sneaking. He goes, dude, we knew you guys. We were like, fuck <laughs> dude, you weren't fooling. We let you like, stop. We're <laughs> <laughs> sorry for sneaking in your club back in the day. <laughs> like dude you weren't fooling anybody bro <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's a but different it time cool to see that. so it's hard to get away from pantera i mean it's just you know it's just such an, a texas a texas heart thing man and to watch be there as a kid and watch it happen and yeah. you know the, it, it were you around for the uh the glam terror days the, oh yeah yeah oh my god they used to come over to when as a kid and in, in the 80s in shreveport we we had a club called the Circle in the Square, which and, and a lot of you know anybody around that area they know Circle in the Square. Stevie Ray used to play there to T Birds, like everybody that was on a mid. It was a mid level room in the, in the early eighties, mm. and um, and so they would come there and play. There was a band called Militia that used to play that used to open for them, and yeah. oh yeah, it was Diamond Daryl at that time right right yeah you know and, it was, and that was pre uh that was pre-phil yeah yeah you know and phil and i actually went to the i didn't not at the same time but we actually went to the same high school down in new orleans oh really so we yeah. actually went to the same school so there was just a weird connection of how you know that new orleans dallas thing again with phil and them and so it was you know it was interesting to watch down and all those bands at that time crowbar and all those bands kind of happen around new orleans and yeah. and and us having pantera and then kind of all the bands that were in the orbit of pantera like big iron and and uh and then later on drowning pool that that you know rose to great success out of dallas so dallas had a big heavy big heavy metal community and i was i was a big part of it and uh and and actually would take you know metal guys uh from metal bands that they would kind of splinter or do whatever i would take them on the road to go play blues rock gigs with me you know wow. we would go to europe and 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 you know i was taking guys on the road and and uh you know so yeah i mean it was always i was always you know a part of that scene but yeah it's 
for as far as far as favorite metal, I mean, you know, and I have to go back to the classic big three. When I really delve into metal, I have to think of Zeppelin, Sabbath, and, and Deep Purple. I mean, I just go to the very core and the apex and then just, you know, go down from there. Because it's just so hard for me to, to say one genre because i go from dio to metallica to motorhead to i mean it's just I, like, I, I, yeah. I just can't i'm like whoa 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah that, that sounds like a lot like a story like when i was you know when i i moved out to tennessee when i was 16 yeah. and uh, i grew uh, when i was growing up bands like yeah. 10 years white chapel and all the and like straight line stitch and all those guys were right. coming up through right. they were in high school learning how to do it and you know and they were doing the battle of the bands and everything so like i got to watch those guys as a very at a very young age and it's just cool to see some of those people pop up and actually be what they are today because right it, 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 it is cool to like come up with like different things like i know shreveport's a completely different music scene than say like east tennessee and you know but it's same but different because it's a little lower level no one really but you get to know these guys at a very core level so yeah i would say that's super cool no, it's, it's very similar. I mean, you know, playing and living in East Texas as well. I mean, East Tennessee and East and East Texas are very, very similar. And we we had a big connection going back and forth back in the day. I mean, we played Sassy Ann's in Knoxville. Oh, Sassy Ann's. Dude, for years, man. I mean, you know, it was crazy. And we just played, I think, at the Brickyard not very yeah. long. I mean, the Brickyard was our first gig out of COVID. I mean, that was the the first gig we played when COVID ended was in Knoxville. So, you know, uh, yeah, it was great. And then going out, my favorite part of the world is out there, Sevierville and Gatlinburg and all that out there. I, that's where I reconnect and get super creative, I think. That's why I love it out there so much. You hear everybody with the fiddles and everything, the mandolins just going nuts out there. And you're like, oh God, how, yeah. are these, how are these people not have record deals and everything when they're just super talented and they're just on right. the side of the road playing at some like they're playing at like old Smokies, you know little stage right there right like, ripping it right yeah east tennessee man i love it man i love it absolutely all right very cool anybody got anything else just want to thank you for coming on lance it was a great thank, meeting thank you thank guys you. yeah no thank yeah. you guys so very much for having me thank you so much for all the kind words about the record and i hope to see you guys soon and uh yeah, man, September 7th, uh, Cage Brewing in St. Petersburg, man. We hope to see you. I'll be there. Okay, man. Good and to see you guys. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Talk, Dr. John is is a, is a great excuse for me because I absolutely adored him. Oh, that's awesome, man. <laughs> All right, well, you guys take care, man. I'll, I'll see you guys soon. All right. Take care. Good. Everybody go buy uh, Trouble is Good and go to RatsideReview.com. Also, hit subscribe here on Facebook. On, uh, where the hell are we? YouTube. Hit, hit it on YouTube. Yeah, hit hit that YouTube see you subscribe button. Next week. All right. Thanks, guys.